Hello, welcome to the Wednesday Word. My name is Ann Hardy and I'm the Outreach Director for Desert Spring Church. It is my pleasure to be our podcast host for today. It's summertime and we thought instead of our regular roundtable podcast, we would change things up and do an interview style podcast with people from around our church. So welcome to the Summer Stories podcast. We know there are so many people in our church with interesting faith stories. I love hearing them and I hope you will too. Today's podcast guest is Reverend David Devereaux, who's the senior pastor for Desert Spring Church. Pastor David, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to be back from vacation. Yeah, you're just coming back from an extended time off. How was it? What'd you do? Well, the time off was great. Um, I was uh, actually been off for four weeks. Um, and it was kind of interesting because our time off was bookended by COVID. Um, two weeks before my scheduled vacation, I tested positive for COVID and I was down for two weeks. I continued testing positive for two weeks. Um, and so I was just coming out of COVID when my vacation started. Um, by the way, that makes it seem like I've been gone forever because I was those two <laughs> weeks of, out ill. Um, and then as our vacation was ramp, kind of winding up, Jerry came down with COVID. Mm. Um, and so she's still recovering, in fact, from it now. Um, so, but in between episodes with COVID, we had a great time. Um, we spent part of our time uh, at our property up in Utah and part of our time here in Las Vegas. Um, when we were up in Utah, um, for the first three weeks of that time, we did a lot of projects. So, you know, our property now has electricity because we installed a solar system. Ooh. Um, and we actually have running water and plumbing and, the, you know. Wow, moving like up, up in now. the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we did, we got a lot of projects done and that was, that always feels good. Uh, I like being busy. I like getting my hands dirty. And, and when we're up there, we can see our progress. Um, and that also feels good. Um, but I knew that SPRC, our personnel committee, gave me the time off in part so that I could be rested and, and ready to uh, for the, the push in the fall. Uh, so the, the last really nine or ten days of my vacation, I just decided I needed to rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we spent a lot of that time up in Utah, but I resisted the temptation of, uh, of working on projects, hung out with family, um, we had a lot of family come up over the 4th of July, uh, almost everybody, uh, our kids and grandkids, and just hung out with them and visited, and uh, we had a great time, and I rested. Um, so I come back now maybe feeling more rested than I have in quite a few years, mm. uh, and, and that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's great. So, so some of the goals of your time off was just a time of refreshment, for body, mind, and soul. Um, But you also have to um, try to keep up that relationship with God and that energy level on a day-to-day basis um, as, you know, in your pastoral duties. Um, So how do you keep your spiritual life fresh? How do you keep your cup full and, you know, so that you're ready to to give to those um, in the congregation who might need you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, there's kind of two different answers to that. I think uh, when I'm on vacation, it looks a little bit different than when I'm, you know, f- working, you know, every day. 
um, on vacation, um, especially when we're up in Utah, it's very, very simple. Um, and I, you know, Jerry sees this all the time. Uh, you know, Chris has been up there. He's probably seen this as well, but in the mornings I'm, I'm do my own thing. Um, and I'll spend maybe as much as an hour, um, just kind of on my own. Um, and that's a time of kind of spiritual refreshment. That's a time where I'm paying attention to, you know, to what's around me and to my relationship with God. Uh, that's a time of prayer um, and of just kind of being. Uh, and so that, that's, a, that's a really important part of kind of filling my cup back up um, is that kind of solitude is what I call it, a practice of solitude and, and almost like meditation, mm. um, although I'm not still. I'm, I'm moving and um, walking and looking and that kind of thing. Um, that's that's really important to me. And, and so I did a lot of that over this last month. I got a lot of hours in of that kind of solitude. And then once I've had that, um, then I'm ready to kind of engage for the day with everybody. Uh, when, when I'm not up at the land and I'm here and I'm working, um, then it's a little bit different uh, for me. And really, um, the place where I think um, my cup gets filled the most is, is the times of preparation. Um, so I'm preparing for Bible study, and that preparation for Bible study is Bible study for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thinking, and, and, uh, and I'm preparing to write a sermon. And that uh, is a spiritual discipline for me, writing a sermon. Um, so it's, it's always wrapped in a lot of prayer. Um, there's always a lot of silence in preparation for even beginning to write. Um, and so just those times of preparation for other things that I have to do, um, are those moments where my cup kind of gets filled back up again. Mm. Um, but having said that, even when I'm here in Las Vegas, every morning starts off with solitude. I'll go out in the backyard, I'll... I'll mess around with the flowers. It looks like I'm doing something. I'm not really doing anything. I'm just being quiet and still and paying attention to what's around me and listening to the voice of God. Mm. Well, that sounds great. And it must be um, helpful that you're out, you know, at the land that you, it's so beautiful. And, you know, it's, it's easy when we're out in creation to feel that connection with God, I think. Yeah. It, it certainly is for me, and you know, I've always said I have I have three happy places in my life, and those places are places where I am most aware of the presence of God, and and life feels right. Uh, one of them's in the sanctuary church with everybody here, and one of them is just being with with my family and spending that kind of time wherever that is, and one of them is out in nature, and specifically then up at our property where we're doing a lot of work, um, and. Um, you know, if you were to come over to my to my house here in Las Vegas, I always create um, beautiful flower gardens and that kind of thing um, because of that very thing. Just being out in nature, seeing the beauty of creation um, puts me in a place where I can listen better, mm. I think, uh, for that still small voice of God. So I, I always create that in our home. So I then spend time in it and I just kind of listen. Well, it, it's certainly been a rough couple of years. Um, we've had lots of challenges um, uh, with the pandemic and shootings and wars and um, 
it's so it's it's got to really be a difficult time to be a pastor. Um, I would even go so far as to say it's probably the most difficult time um, in your career. I would think is that is that the case? Yeah, I think the the last couple of years have been the most difficult time, with the exception of the first year of my ministry, mm. year one. Outside of that, I would say that these last two years have been my most difficult time uh, in ministry. Uh, and an awful lot of that is because nothing prepared me uh, for what the pandemic would do. Um, and the things that I do and the way that I do them is so relational, so built on just being with people. And all of a sudden you can't be with people. And then, you know, it's easy to start feeling like, well, what can I do then? Um, and so it was, it was a particularly difficult time. In fact, I've said this uh, oft, often, if it wasn't for a few members of staff like you and Julie, but also uh, it, with working with two of my children, Chris and, and Lydia, um, and kind of the creativity that came from this group of people. I don't know if I'd have made it through, um, but that kind of creativity and energy that I could see coming from other people who could see opportunities and could see ways to, to be successful in ministry, even in the midst of a pandemic, that inspired me, and that's what got me through that time. But yeah, it was difficult. Uh, my first year of ministry was difficult for a very different reason. Uh, I was sent to a, a, a church as an associate pastor that was divided and unhealthy and not prepared well by our superintendent. It took me four months to figure out what was going on, and it was just uh, a, kind of an ugly scene. Mm -hmm. So I said, this is what ministry is about. I'm not interested. Yeah. Um, and, of course, it's not what it was about. And um, my very next, you know, I was only there one year, and, and six months in, I was told I was going to get moved. So... Um, um, and then I got moved to Camp Verde, which was the place that taught me how to be mm. a pastor, and it was fabulous. Yeah, but it sounds like that that kind of would mess with your what you you think of as your calling. You know, it's like, am I called to go through this really difficult time where I'm worrying about my call? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm questioning my call. Or yeah, it's kind of interesting. I hadn't thought about this very much, but but. You know, I resisted my call for so long. You know, I knew God wanted me to be a minister, a pastor of a church, but I resisted that for so long. And when I went to seminary, I still was resisting it. Hmm. I had no intention of being a pastor. Uh, I went there planning on going through and getting my PhD and then teaching in a seminary. Ah. My, my greatest interest was kind of in um, philosophical theology. Uh, but uh, and biblical theology, those kinds of things. And so I kind of pictured myself going that route. Um, and I would have if it weren't for Jerry. Um, you know, she put me through um, our master's, my master's program and said, I just need a break for a few years and then I'll put you through your PhD. Why don't you work in a church for a few years? She was setting me up because she knew <laughs> She's that... She's a wise woman. <laughs> she knew that once I started started working in a church, I would, I would realize that is where that I'm is, supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but that first six months is like, Oof, yeah, this rough. is not it. So yeah. I was already in conversation with some other schools. I was thinking like, yeah, I don't know that I can do this. Mm -hmm. um, I got through that time and landed in Camp Verde and then discovered this really is my calling. And the whole idea of returning to school just 
vanished mm. and has never come back. Um, but I look back upon that time now, and it did prepare me in some ways. Um, it, um, although it was a concentrated lesson mm -hmm. that maybe didn't need to be as concentrated as yeah, it was, right. um, it, uh, it prepared me uh, when it comes to understanding that, you know, when it comes to ministry, it can be messy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people have all kinds of things going on in their lives, and some of it is difficult stuff. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes people can act out in churches, too. And we don't have that at Desert Spring, but, uh, but I've had that in every church to some extent. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and so it kind of helped, I think, you know, in retrospect, prepare me for being able to manage difficult times when they would arise. Um, and certainly it prepared me then when I became a superintendent and I was always cleaning up messes. Yeah, yeah, right. So God was there in the middle of that mess leading you through and giving you skills, and um, I'm glad you didn't uh, become an academic. I don't see you as an academic, so... Yeah, I'm not that know. smart after all. No, 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 that's not... <laughs> <laughs> So, so what's your biggest challenge right now? What, what are you, what's, what's just keeping you up at night and, and, and you just. Well, I think, you know, the biggest challenge is still that COVID isn't behind us. Um, it keeps, you know, showing up in new forms. Uh, and there's so much that's still kind of like unknown about its impact that it's going to have in the weeks or the months to come. I don't envision it having the kind of impact that it did two years ago, but it's still, it's still around, and it makes it a little bit difficult for us to fully re-engage re in some of our ministries. Mm -hmm. You know, we were talking in staff meeting today about uh, an event we were that we were thinking we'd want to do, and, uh, and very early in the conversation, it's like, you know, when COVID numbers are coming up, this might not be the right time. Yeah. Um, and so, so, the fact that it still is lingering on, I think, is one of the greatest challenges. And how do we navigate that when we know we have to be reopening ministries, we have to be engaging with people in, in uh, meaningful ways, um, but not exactly knowing what the, what the weeks and months to come are going to hold as far as the pandemic and, and its impact on those kinds of plans. Yeah. The thing that keeps me up at night, though, is something different <laughs> ah. than that. Um, and, um, you know, we built our church on, on trust. We trust in God that if God wants something to happen, the resources will be available. Mm -hmm. Uh, we trust in each other that we can know what God wants us to do in our life, with our lives. Um, and so we've built our congregation on trust. And, uh, and I think we have a congregation that is very trusting in that kind of way. Um, but, but having said that, um, Somebody has to worry about about the money. Mm. Um, well, maybe somebody doesn't have to. I worry <laughs> about the money. Um, and um, well, well, we trust in God to uh, to make certain if something needs to happen, it happens, and the resources will be available, and they always are. Mm -hmm. I feel a weight of responsibility. Uh, when it comes to the you know uh, this church moving forward, particularly related to the, all the staff, mm -hmm. you know, um, um, I feel a sense of responsibility uh, for you and for Chris and for all of the staff um, that 
you're secure in your in your jobs and with your income and those kinds of things and it's that sense of responsibility that can kind of keep me up at night when I know that we're going through the summer and finances are always more difficult in the summer yeah. um, that kind of stuff so so um, if I were to kind of boil that down to you know what's kind of the heart of the issue well I guess I still have some room to grow when it comes to my trust in God mm. So maybe a little more solitude, <laughs> a little more listening <laughs> would be good. <laughs> yeah, but you are responsible. You're the bottom line guy. You're the one that's going to have to make the tough decisions. You've got to pay attention to what God is saying. So there's tension and there's balance in I'm responsible, but yet I'm not responsible. You know, it's God is responsible for equipping us to do what we've been called to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that seems like it would be a source of great tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to say it because it's not just that I'm responsible, but I have to be attentive to the leading of the Spirit and what needs to happen and unfold and new directions that we need to go. Um, and that's part of that kind of weight of responsibility because I can see that and then. You know, I convince you in your very first SPRC meeting that you need to come to work for us, <laughs> but then I got to make certain you get paid. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so there is that that kind of uh, that kind of tension. And I do want to say, um, this doesn't keep me up at night all the time. Mm-hmm. For the most part, I sleep very very well. Right. And for the most part, I'm very trusting of God. Um, where I get worried is when you know, I can see that um, that that things are getting really tight. We anticipate it, we expect it, uh, but we got to make it through that. And so I'm always up, just kind of thinking about, okay, what do we need to do? How do we need to do this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, praying too, right? And that we'll have the resources that we need, and that yeah. God will inspire me yeah. to be able to do the right thing. That's the kind of that's what I mean by staying up. Well, and I and I will say worrying maybe is the wrong word, but my mind being occupied on these things, um, running through my mind. So Julie did a wonderful job preaching uh, on Sunday, and she kind of touched on um, the power of words and our purpose statement, Desert Springs purpose statement. Um, Can you tell us what the purpose of our church is? Um, and where are we? Where are we going with that purpose? Are we are we on track? Do we are we going to experience a, a, a time of adjustment? Um, do we have new goals in terms of our purpose statement uh, coming up? Or yeah, well, just let me back up and say that right before the pandemic, um, so really. The about four or five months leading into the pandemic, before the pandemic hit, uh, we had a team of folks, and you were on it, who were working on uh, a new purpose statement. And and during that meeting, it became very clear to us that 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 if we were describing who Desert Spring is at our best, who we are, not who we want to be, mm-hmm. but who we really are right now at our best, that there were three phrases that really captured that best. Um, and so our purpose statement is made up of those three phrases, those three ideas of, of who we are at our core and, and at our best. Uh, the first one was that we welcome all people. 
So we are a very welcoming church. And of course, we can always do better, and we're learning that. But that's an important thing for us, is that people experience that, that they uh, are welcome. Um, and a second phrase was to discover and live a life of purpose through Jesus Christ. Um, that as a church that trusts in God and trusts in each other, we're here to help people succeed what God wants them to do. We want to welcome people in and help them kind of figure that out in their own lives, what God wants them to do and, and how they can act on their faith and how we can help them to succeed. And, uh, so that, and we're really good at that. Um, and our third phrase is together we make a meaningful difference in the lives of others. You know, we are a community of faith, so, we're, so that sense of togetherness is important. And one of the things we missed during the pandemic was not being mm. able to gather and be together. And it feels so good when we are mm-hmm. able to be together. Um, but together, making a meaningful difference in the lives of others. We recognize that while caring for each other is important, and it is, and that's part of what we do, um, we're here to, to do more than that. We're here to make a, a significant impact and bring transformation in this world. So we're always looking for ways uh, to make a difference. So our, our purpose statement is that we welcome all people to discover and live a life of purpose through Jesus Christ, as together we make a meaningful difference in the lives of others. Um, that captures who we are, and so to some extent, um, you know, we should see that being lived out in church life. And I think to some extent we do. We see it being lived out in church life. Um, is there, are there goals or things that we need to do related to that? Well, as soon as we approved it, you know, the, we were, the pandemic hit. In fact, we actually improved it a couple of months after the pandemic hit with a special virtual charge conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're only now being able to revisit that um, and kind of come back around to how do we... Um, make this even more a part of church life than it, than it is right now. Um, one of the things that I'm going to be doing uh, starting September 11th, that's the second Sunday of September, is I'm going to be doing a series of sermons uh, called This Is Us. Um, I did this kind of series a few years back. Um, this, this year's series will be different from that because this year's series is going to be based upon this purpose statement. Um, And so it'll be a way of really helping people to understand what that means and what we're trying to to live out. A couple of the goals that we have, though, um, we really need to to relaunch our discovery class. Mm -hmm. That's a place where if somebody wants to discover a life of purpose, that they can go and they can learn and think about their own lives and, and hopefully come out of it with some idea of this is what God how God's working in my life right now. And here's some things that maybe God would want me to do. So we got to get that going again. Um, and then we really need to have um, a shepherding program um, for people who feel a call to start a ministry, mm. to have somebody who walks alongside them to to help them to navigate our systems to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be a really important uh, part of it. Um, we're also working on uh, a, um, a mentoring program where new people coming into the church will have somebody who can help them find their way in, you know, our church is pretty big, so find their way, get connected, and understand our purpose and, you know, and, and, how, and their place within it. So there are some specific goals we have, but really 
September is when we're finally really kind of getting the opportunity to launch this out after, yeah. after doing it a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. So um, so we'll be doing quite a bit of um, vision casting um, in the fall, quite a bit of recruiting. Um, so lots, lots coming. I'm glad you, I'm glad you got your rest in. <laughs> Sounds like we're going to have a, quite a, a, a time of, of building, mm-hmm. uh, coming up. Yeah. It's exciting. You, you know, when I compare this time, um, I remember when I first came back in 2008, 2009, 2010, that time frame, um, this, the, the church had 400 in worship and new people coming in, you know, you could see the people, you, you kind of felt like you weren't so drastically outnumbered and people wanted to get engaged. Mm-hmm. And we built a lot of new ministries out of that. Mm-hmm. And while we have way more people than that now, it kind of has that same feel right now. As people are coming back, we've got more people who are wor- continuing to worship online than we have in person. And f- so a new person coming to in-person worship, they look around and they don't, they're not overwhelmed by the size of the crowd. It feels like they can find a way to connect and we're seeing that. Mm-hmm. Where the new people are getting connected more quickly. They are. Uh, mm-hmm. Wanting to do things and get involved. And that's just a really, really positive sign. Yeah. Yeah, people are wanting to uh, jump in. And I feel like maybe part of that is because they have been part of our online worship community for months in some cases uh before yeah, or years they even, even. Yeah, yeah before they even uh, step onto the campus um and we have uh you know several who are out of town that that worship with us so they're ready they're ready to jump in at the first time they're on campus and it's such a blessing uh, yeah. for us that that's a, an important thing and i th- think it's an important thing for folks in our church to understand is that when we have a first time visitor come on sunday morning to in-person worship they probably already know us pretty well mm-hmm. definitely because they've been online with us mm-hmm. for a good season and the only reason they're coming down is because they've had a good experience that's online right. um, and so it's not like pre-pandemic when when somebody walked in the door this was their first experience of us um the folks are coming a lot Mm -hmm. of them they've been they know us already pretty well yeah they're checking us out on social media they're listening to our podcast they're uh, looking at the website they're they've worshiped with us so people are very familiar um with us before Mm -hmm. they they come to worship on sunday so it's a. I think we have a real opportunity um, to welcome you know these folks in, and and they're ready to 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 be shepherds and be mentors. Yeah, because they've already made their decision yeah, about us. That's right. That's yeah. right. It's a great opportunity for us. So you you mentioned you've been senior pastor since um, since two thousand eight. Um, you have got some plans to retire. Uh, so what what are those plans? What are you what are you gonna do? Well, yeah, uh, the the retirement date was has been a moving target since the pandemic hit, um, and some folks already know this. Uh, when the pandemic hit, I was thinking I would retire actually July of 2022, so I'd be retired right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the pandemic lingered on, and I'm like, yeah, I can't retire this soon. I've got to help the church recover a little right. bit. Right. So I pushed it to 2023, 
Um, and then with some uncertainty at our annual conference level, not having our own resident bishop, um, I became increasingly uncomfortable with the transition between me and the new senior pastor, which needs to go smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the decision was made that um, I would retire July 1st of 2024. Kind of side note for those who don't know that, that's the reason that I was gone for a month is it, as our personnel committee, SPRC, um, has given me um, extra vacation every year just to help me make certain I have the energy to get through these next couple of years and to continue to be effective uh, in my leadership. Um, so I'm looking at retiring in two years now. Um, and if uh, our new bishop, which we will now be receiving a new bishop in January, I think, mm-hmm. um, when we I have opportunities to have conversation with our new bishop, and if it works out, um, um, hopefully I'd stay on in a very part-time capacity for some months mm-hmm. to help with the, getting the new senior pastor up and running and understanding our culture, what mm-hmm. we've created, our purpose, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, uh, and then, you know, I'll kind of disappear into the sunset. Um, <laughs> what we're going to do, that changed a lot over the pandemic. Um, during the pan- Before the pandemic, we were going to retire and we were going to live nine months a year at our place in Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's gorgeous. It's up in the mountains. It feels right. It feels like home. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, three months of the year, I guess we were going to mooch off our kids and, you know, that <laughs> cool. kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but... Um, but Jerry's father now, uh, with his diagnosis of Parkinson's, they've moved to Las Vegas. Um, they live uh, just seven minutes away from us. Um, at some point, we'll sell our house, and and we're going to all live together. Okay. Um, so we can help take care of him, um, help Jerry's mother take care of him, which means that we'll be sharing our time between here and Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we're hopeful we can do Um, would be um, two weeks a month up in Utah, two weeks a month here. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what we're thinking. But a lot of that's just going to unfold as, you know, as time goes by and we see how Jim's doing. Yeah. Um, But we'll we'll be helping to take care of of him. So we're going to be rooted in Las Vegas, and and Zion's going to be more of of our uh, vacation getaway Mm -hmm. um, than what we first thought. Mm -hmm. Um, So that means I'll be around some. I, I expect that, you know, once I've been retired for some months, um, I'll do some pulpit supply. You know, if, if I'm invited to preach at places, I'll preach that kind of thing. Right. Um, but um, what, I'm, what am I going to spend my time on when I retire? <laughs> some building up at Zion, some taking care of, of Jim and Thelma, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, what a blessing for them and... and... Um, I'm in the position myself where um, we're having to make some adjustments um, to our lifestyle to add my father-in-law into our home, and and um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, I want him, you know, I want him to come, and and um, and I appreciate that uh, that there's exam- there's other people, of course, in that position, and the examples that um, that you're providing. For us, so I appreciate that. And I appreciate those words, but I do have to say, Jerry's the saint. Yes, she's the leader. Um, um, while I'm happy to go to do this, um, you know, Jerry's the, the one who says we need to do this, mm-hmm. and then I say, okay. Yeah. 
Right. Well, God gave us our families, mm-hmm. and um, and family uh, is top priority. Um, so you gotta gotta take care of family. Yeah. Um, so so I've heard talk about a possible split mm-hmm. in the in the United Methodist Church. What what do you see? What do you, when you look at that situation and and how that's going to affect the United Methodist Church? Are you filled with hope? Are you filled with dread? What's going on? You know, what's your take on this? Well, it's it's changed over time. You know, when we had general conference, which was just that year before the pandemic hit, um, there was a lot of dread then. Um, and I was part of a leadership team for our conference thinking about, okay, if a new denomination is born, here's things that are going to be really important to us, that kind of thing. Um, as time has moved on, it's... Uh, focus has shifted some. There's not going to be a split. Um, so the that language of split is probably not helpful because mm-hmm. that sounds like you got two groups each going their own way. Um, what there is going to be is a group of churches that leave. Um, and it's a minority group of churches. And by that I mean maybe 15% of the churches in the, of the Methodist churches in the United States are going to leave. That means 85% of the churches in the United States aren't going anywhere. They're going to remain United Methodist. Um, Of those 15% that leave, they're forming a new denomination together. At least some of them um, are forming a new denomination. It's called the Global Methodist Church. Um, And it is a departure from United Methodism in a very significant way. it's not something that I could ever affiliate with uh, at all and with any good conscience. Um, but they have, uh, they meaning the leadership of church, of the leadership within that group of churches have organized and already written their own book of discipline um, and have already stated when they're launching their new denomination. They're just waiting to have a general conference give approval. Um, and general conference will have no reason, from my perspective, has no reason not to. Um, it's like they've made their mind up. This is what they want to do. Let's send them off with a prayer and a blessing right. and let them do their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the remainder of the churches are going to remain United Methodist. Um, and what that will ultimately do um, is potentially resolve some of the conflicts that the denominations had for so long, mm-hmm. um, specifically around full inclusion of, you know, of all people. Um, I'm a, a little hesitant in saying that because there is, there's a whole other thing that has to happen at the same time that the Global Methodist Church leaves, uh, and that's that um, um, currently in the United Methodist Church, we have central conferences, um, like one in Africa, for instance, one in the Philippines, for instance. And those central conferences can make their own decisions around mission and ministry in their context. The United States is not its own central con- um, conference. So we cannot make those decisions. It has to be made by the worldwide gathering of mm-hmm. Methodists. Um, the United States has to become its own central conference. 
so that we can focus on things that are important to us and not ask people who are from other countries who have other priorities mm -hmm. to have to sign off on things that are important to us. They need to work on theirs. Right. Uh, and once that happens, which that should happen at General Conference, okay. a lot of the tension and the arguing is going to go away. And w at that point, we can really focus on, okay, what does it mean to have a vital future as a United Methodist Church? That's where I think we're headed, is what is it going to look like to have a vital future as United Methodist Church? An interesting thing's happening right now. Um, and I think it's because of kind of all of the politicizing of life that's mm -hmm. taken place over these recent years. Um, but there is a resurgence of interest in mainline Protestant churches. Um, after, after a slow decline where most people were gravitating toward more conservative churches and, and some of the megachurches, there is a resurgence of interest in mainline Protestant churches because mainline Protestant churches tend to be more centrist mm -hmm. in, their, in their theology and in, in their practice. Um, and I think folks are hungry for that. So I think we've got an a, a opportunity for a really bright future. And we're going to have just a little bit of a bumpy road for a short time as these churches leave and we deal with all the press and how that gets spun yeah. in the press. Yeah. Um, but once the dust settles on that, we're going to be able to focus better on, on what, who we need to be as a denomination moving forward at a time where there are opportunities we haven't had in a while. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a hopeful time, and it seems like we can really respond well um, with some speed in and doing what God has called us to do, um, rather than um, having to kind of you know put the brakes on and and have to get approval mm -hmm. um, from from people who are doing their own thing and where God has called them right so it's it does sound hopeful and um, and exciting um, and we will um, we this this decision um, will not affect desert spring as far as I know we are a welcoming congregation this is something that we've already decided as a church. Yeah. Yeah. And as the way I understand what's going to happen, um, when those churches that are of the global Methodist church decide to leave, well, every annual conference will have to decide whether they want to go with them or mm -hmm. not. Right. Um, ours definitely will not. Definitely. Definitely will not. Right. But then once a conference decides, then an individual church can decide whether they want to stay with the conference or go with them. And within our conference, there might be two churches or three mm. churches that would go with the Global Methodist Church, but the vast, vast majority would have no interest in doing that at all. Desert Spring won't be impacted at all. We'll remain United Methodist yeah. Church. We'll remain mm -hmm. who we are. M my feeling is that we are an example of the future of our denomination. Um, and so our witness is all the more important in this kind of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. We've been we've been working on these issues for years. Um, you know, at the at the kind of grassroots rubber meets the road place. Mm -hmm. Um and so we're kind of poised to kind of say, "Hey, this is this is the challenges that we've met and that we're still working on and and uh, you know, kind of raise up some leaders." 
Yeah. Little side note, the work that I did leading um, the dream team of our conference around what if we were going to form a new denomination, um, that all got put on hold now. Mm. Uh, we identified um, four really, really important um, things for that we, that we believe would have to be included in a new denomination for us to be interested. And we put all that work together. Um, to share it with at the jurisdictional level, that's all the Methodist churches in the western part of the United States, only to find that we were so far beyond what the other conferences had done that that there were, that it was like this could go nowhere. Mm-hmm. And so realizing this could go nowhere, you know, it's time, okay, let's settle down on this thing and let's focus on what are we going to do with the United Methodist Church and how can we make it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Once again, we were kind of running ahead of everybody. Yeah. One one final question. Hopefully it's a little bit fun for you to answer. Um, what would you like to be known for or remembered for? That's a, that's a big question. Um, I, I would like to be remembered as a person who loved God, as a person who was good to his family, um, and who um, took seriously his calling to do ministry. Um, I'd like to be remembered as somebody who cared in that kind of way uh, for the church. Yeah, I guess that's mm. I guess that's the stuff. Well, I'd say you've already got all that under your belt. I would say you know <laughs> you're you're certainly a, a wonderful pastor and and family member and um yeah it's been it's been a privilege uh to be on staff and learn from you and learn how to care for our church and its people mm, i appreciate that i appreciate that and i don't i don't take credit for a lot of the things that desert spring has done all i do is talk <laughs> You know, right? Other people do, all the people do the work, you know, so it's not like I can take credit for those things. Um, but, yeah, to be remembered as somebody who loved God, loved my family, and really cared for the church, yeah. that's good for me. Yeah, yeah. Amen. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I appreciate it. I know that you're just jumping back in, and you've got, uh, you know, all those emails waiting for you, and I appreciate you taking the time to... Uh, to stop and and spend some time answering these questions. Um, I thank our listeners, of course, for joining us. Um, Why don't we close in prayer? Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for David. Thank you for his ministry and his call and his time at Desert Spring. It has been such a blessed time, and we know that you're with us now, and You are um, moving powerfully through Desert Spring. We look forward to witnessing what you have in store for us as a church. Thank you for our listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.